You are listening to For His Glory, a sermon series exploring God's grace in the book of Romans, preached by Dr. Trent Stewart. More information about Foothills Church is available at foothillschurch.com. All right, it's great to see you here this morning. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Romans. We are in Romans chapter 13, seeing some of those statistics there about how much time uh, we spend watching television, how much time we spend in the restroom. Uh, is a little bit sobering to think that we spend years of our life doing those things. And uh, when you think about our, how short our life is, um, our hope is kind of begin to make us uncomfortable this morning with the fact that you and I spend a lot of time doing a lot of things that do not matter. A lot of things in our life that really consume our thoughts, that consume our, our daily routine at the end of the day really doesn't matter at all and really, I believe, is a sleeping pill uh, that we consume, especially in our culture, that uh, allows us to sleep through our life spiritually. And as we go to sleep spiritually, uh, our life passes by quickly. Our kids are born, they're raised, they're off to college, and the next thing we know, our kids are gone. And then we're faced with this, what, what our culture calls a midlife crisis. And then we wrestle with that and, and uh, realize maybe at that point that money and, and, and job and all that stuff wasn't as, as, as important as we thought it was. And, and then grandkids come along and then we end up trying to you know, make up for all that lost time with being a great grandparent, uh, somehow kind of filling that void in our heart that, man, we kind of missed the boat on our first go around. Um, we, we look forward to that day where we're going to retire and, and start to collect that, you know, that 401k and, and, and get to Florida or maybe the mountains and play golf and just kind of ease through the rest of our life where we can finally just kind of relax and, and kind of not worry about anything. And, and folks, I'm just telling you that that lifestyle, that dream is anti-Jesus. Um, we in our culture just sleep through life and we worry about things that don't matter and we spend time on so much junk and we miss the very reason that we are here on this world and in this life. Um, our culture is changing drastically. Um, in the last 10 years, um, we're seeing some changes in our country like never before. Um, we, we talked about our government last week. If you missed that, you can podcast that and how we're to subject ourselves to our government uh, to honor the Lord. And then like four days later, the government shut down. It's like, gosh, it's like, you know, God really gave us an opportunity there to apply his, his, his word to our life. But I thought that was funny. But, you know, we kind of look at our culture and realize in the last 10 years, some huge things have happened. So let me set this up before we even get into scripture. But, but, but I, you know, just remember September 11th changed our world as we know it, changed our country, uh, war in Iraq, war in Afghanistan, all these things still taking place the last 10 years. Uh, the housing market crash, um, which led to the recession that we still feel today. Um, all of these things are happening with, with the, 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 the shootings that take place, the mass shootings that, that now are happening in uh, even elementary schools. Um, some, some serious things are happening and our culture is shifting. Um, a lot of major shifts in the way that we make decisions, the way our countries run, and the way that you and I interact with one another, um, either, either relationally or financially or even, even how we speak. Um, 
they, they, the statistics tell us that in the last 10 years, um, despite all the social media and, and all the advances technologically that we've had in order to communicate with each other and to be connected with each other, despite all of that, iPhones, all that stuff, Twitter, Facebook, our country is, in the last 10 years, has doubled in the amount of people that now say that they're lonely. So 20% of Americans say that they're lonely. Um, we, we see all of the shifts and all the changes. We see the loneliness that is creeping in. And then we see some other things that, that we as a church have to recognize. Um, first of all, 195 million people in our country are unchurched. That means that they have never stepped foot into a church. 195 million people. That's a, a lot of people. So that, that makes up uh, in our country, the U.S., they say is the fourth largest missionary field in the world. The fourth. And, and a lot of people actually say the third. So it's kind of shifting. And so, so the third largest missionary uh, sending place that we should be focusing on is in our own back yard. That, that's, that's a huge shift because over the last 50 years, we've been going overseas. We've been, you know, sending people and, and not nearly enough, but that's kind of been a, a good shift, but not a lot, not enough ha, have gone. And, and now we are the fourth largest mission field in the world. Couple that with the U.S. Census Bureau uh, released saying that nearly 40 million people are foreign born. So in our country alone, that makes up for 13% of our population are foreigners that have immigrated to our country, either legally or, or I'm guessing that's legally, not to mention all the illegal. So, so a lot of us get mad at that and we want reform there. And then at the same time, I, I can't help but wonder if like, I'm not saying this is what it is. This is just me personally. Like because we as Americans didn't take the gospel to them, God in his grace is saying, okay, I'm going to bring him to you. And so now the influx of people from South America and Latin America, the influx from Asia, all these different cultures, even in our own city, make up 13% of our population. The world is shifting as, as we know it. Couple that with 52% of our population is under 30 under 30. Over half of the population is under 30. I don't know if you've realized that or not, but the millennial generation, which is born from, from 1978 uh, to, to the year 2000, so 13 years old uh, to 36, 35 years of age, that's the millennial generation. They make up 95 million people, all under the age, uh, all close in that 35 and under rage. Okay, now let me put it in perspective here. The baby boomer generation, which is all oh, like the greatest generation in this huge generation, only had 78 million. So that was a big generation, 78 million. This generation, much, much larger. So why share all that? Well, in our scripture today, we're going to see that, that God is calling us to wake up from our slumber. And my heart and my prayer as pastor and as, as a partner with you for the gospel is that our church would wake up. And not just our church, but the church universal would have an awakening. We, we just sang about a, that God would awaken us. 
And really that's where it hearts when, when, that's where it starts. When our heart is first and foremost awakened to the things of God and to the gospel, then we see change. And so, so we've got to realize there's a huge, huge shift in our culture today. And at the same time, we're popping sleeping pills, spiritually speaking here, and we're just sleeping our way through it. I mean, the church at large still does ministry and programs that it was doing 50 years ago. I mean, you go to most churches and they're still doing the same thing they were doing 50 years ago, even 20 years ago. It's not working. I mean, the idea that, hey, we're going to have Sunday morning church and open up the doors and, and, and just say, you, y'all come, it's not working. It's not going to work. So the church has to wake up. We have to realize that, that this book has the truth. It is the truth. It is relevant to every single person created in our world. We don't have to make this book relevant. It is relevant. So I don't need a relevant ministry and I don't need to try to be relevant. All I have to do is teach the Bible. That makes it relevant because it is. What we have to do though is we've got to realize that there's 95 million people under the age of 30 and how we did church 20 years ago is not going to reach that generation. So there's a sense of urgency that every single person in this room should begin to feel like, I, I think our church is in a great place, and, and, and just honestly, I think we're further along than most churches, but at the same time, we are nowhere close to where we should be as far as advancing the gospel. And by and large, it's because we're not awake, we're sleeping. We're sleeping through this and figuring out, oh, God will figure it out, it'll all work out, we're not concerned about it. We're not concerned about the accountability factor that you and I are going to face when we stand before God on this issue And we just kind of, you know, rolls off our back. You know what we do? We just stay busy. Uh, They're saying now, there's no real statistic, but the kind of like the the, the mindset now of statisticians is is, uh, 10 years ago, um, when somebody asked you how you were doing, the patent answer was fine. Yeah, was fine. You're right. Today, now, the patent answer is not fine. Most likely it's, anybody want to take a guess? I think somebody said it, busy. Oh, we're, we're busy. I mean, think about it. How many conversations did you have before, you know, the, the service started where someone said, hey, how are you doing? Oh, you know, we're just busy, you know, just staying busy. Got kids, got this, got this, got work, we're busy. You know what? Could be the greatest strategy Satan has ever come up with to get us busy to get us focused on all the the, the silly stuff of our life and forget about the gospel message and the gospel of Jesus Christ being, being just deeply rooted within our hearts because we waste a lot of time with all the different things that are taking place in our world. And so we've got to wake up. The church has to wake up in America you have to wake up individually. There are, there are people from foreign countries all around you. If you're, if you're not noticing them, then you're blinded and that's the first cue this morning that you're asleep. If you don't see all of these different cultures and people around you, congratulations, you're asleep. Now you can do something about it and change your life. It's that serious. The church in 20, if, if that much change has happened in 10 years, just think of where we're going to be in 20 years if we don't start making some adjustments, if we don't start getting passionate.
passionate about the gospel, then, then the, the, the way of life and the, and, and the way that we do church in general, you know how many doors are closing uh, across the country, churches? I mean, it's, it's every single week churches are going out of business. They're shutting the doors. People are calling us saying, hey, this church in Knoxville is going out of business. This church over here is going out. You guys want to take it over. And I do. I want to take them all over. I mean, not like like dictatorship, take them over. What I want to do is I want them to grow again and I want to send you and I want to, you know, have pastures there and I want to grow that and I want to establish, you know, in that culture and in that area, church again, because we need more churches. If you're anti-church planning, you're in the wrong church. Because the answer to all of this is not Billy Graham and, and do more evangelistic crusades because that was of the past. That doesn't work anymore. The culture under 30 today is relational. So to be relational, we actually have to do what Jesus did, which is a pretty good model, which is to be in relationship with people and to have spiritual conversations with them. You know, they say that um, like 40% of people who are asked to come to church don't come. And there's a small percentage that will come of, of people who are unchurched. And so even the fact of inviting people to church, as important as that is, um, to me is a great way, but there's an even better way to reach people who are unchurched. And that is for you to have conversations with them and to build relationships with them. That's all we talk about in camp too. It's all we see. We're not a gimmicky church, and we don't have a lot of programs, and we're not going to do a lot of you know revivals, and we don't have a lot of stuff throughout the week. All because we're trying to pound into you guys, be in relationships. You don't need to come to church and be around Christians on Wednesday. You need to be around unchurched people and build relationships with them, and tell them about Jesus, and eventually we'll get them to come to church. Folks, if we don't wrap our minds around that, and if there's not some kind of burning kind of, yeah, man, if there's not that inside of your heart, you're asleep. You're asleep spiritually. Just own up to it today. Just say, I'm asleep. I don't care. And my prayer today, and this is what I take away, God, wake me up. I, I need a wake up call. I mean, honestly, that is where we're at. The scripture here speaks loud and clear to us that we're, it, the time is now. It's not when I get older. It's not when I get financially here. It's now. I don't know about you, but when I wake up, I like um, a cup of coffee. Um, that's kind of my go-to. If you've ever like tried to wake up and, and you want to go like, um, I want to wake up earlier. You ever, ever try to go, you know what? I, I just ready to wake up and we just need to get up earlier and start the day off right and all those kinds of things. Anybody ever try to change your schedule and do that? And so there's all kinds of like strategies to do that. I'm gonna, just a few things here. I mean, you can set the, the coffee pot, you know, to go off. And so that the aroma, when the alarm goes off, you know, it's just kind of helps you to get out of bed. So, uh, I don't know if that works for you, but maybe Maybe you asked your spouse to help you get up because he or she, you know, is an early morning riser. And so they get up, you're just like, hey, help me get up. And, and that worked out real well. They tried to wake you up, you yelled at them and you're like, get out of here. So that didn't work too well. Then you, then you tried the old, put the alarm clock on the other side of the room. You ever, you ever done that? Uh, and so then it went off and then you like picked up the nearest remote control or shoe you could find and you threw it at the remote or at the clock and it broke or whatever. So we all kind of try strategies to, to wake up a little bit earlier. Um, but at the end of the day, the only thing that really works is discipline, right? I mean, just di- flat out discipline and um, 
creating that and establishing that habit in your life. Uh, and if you've ever like overslept, anybody ever slept and, and were late to something? I mean, this, really, that's it? There's like three people? Okay, thank you for being honest today. We're, especially when you were in school, remember in college when you overslept and you were late for class and you're like, oh, what do you do? You jump up, you rush, you, you run out. Have you, anybody ever late for a test? I was late for a final one time. That was bad. So, I mean, imagine begging a professor to, you know, I was, I'm sorry about missing the final and all. <laughs> it's like, can I come and take it? <laughs> you know, thankfully he let me. So, uh, it, you know, Every time we're late and, we, and we're supposed to be somewhere and we're late and we're not on time, what do we do? We panic. We rush. Ladies, it takes you an hour to get ready, but when you're late, you can get ready in less than five minutes. I've seen it happen, you know? It takes an hour, but on, on a late day, boom, you know, lipstick may be on your eyebrows instead of your lips, but you're, you're there. Guys, you know, you, you, we just jump up, put clothes on, boom, we're out the door, um, Things like that just, just happen when we realize that we're late or when we realize uh, what time it actually is. The worst part about that is when you show up to work on those days that you were going to be late and you rush and you realize that your socks don't match. Ever it happened to you? You're like, oh, one brown and one blue. Hope nobody sees that one. Or, or uh, you know, you, your shirt's inside out or backwards. You know, has anybody ever noticed that? It's, some of that tends to happen, but that's okay. Because when we, when we realize what time it is, we start to rush and things change. If you have a deadline, and so, you know, Friday, a project is due. And so you're working, you're working, you're working. And then, you know, Friday comes and you realize that the time is short and you're not finished yet. And so, man, you're rushing and, and everything changes, doesn't it? Because that becomes your focus. It becomes your attention. Like this is due tomorrow. I have got to put everything else on hold because I have got to get this thing finished so that it's on time. Here's the reality. And we're going to read scripture today that when you, when you and I understand what time it is, our behavior begins to change. And that's the big idea today, really to, to take home that when you understand what time it is, your behavior begins to change. When you understand and it hits you that a project is due tomorrow, then your behavior today changes. If you're a procrastinator and you're in school and your test is tomorrow and you haven't studied, I know what you're doing all night tonight. It's like, I'm not going out tonight. I can't go there. I can't do that. I've got to study. I've got to test tomorrow. Because when you realize what time it is, your behavior changes. Let's read chapter 13, Verses 8 through 14. <clears throat> he says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves an, another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore, Love is the fulfilling of the law. Verse 11, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, 
not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and to make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Let me give you a few um, few things that change in our life today. When we realize what time it is, our behavior will change. So here are four ways that your behavior ought to be changed uh, as we look at Scripture and understand what time it is and, and, and time as, as it relates to salvation history and what God is doing in the world. And the first one, if you're taking notes, is that when you realize what time it is, you begin to make the most of your time. You make the most of your time. Look at verse 11. He says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. That's what time it is. It's time to wake from our spiritual slumber. And he goes on, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So what time is it in the church? Well, it's kind of an overlapping time. Because Christ has, has, has come to earth, he died on the cross, the time for us is it is time to understand and, and begin to receive him as Lord and Savior, which means the age of, of, of forgiveness is here, of grace is here, of joy is here, of peace in our hearts is here. All of these great, wonderful things that we receive uh, as we receive Christ, that's what time it is. And at the same time, we are not yet fully experiencing our full salvation. So it's like we're here and then there's this other time that's coming, which is, which is our salvation in its complete sense, which means the second coming of Christ hasn't taken place. We're not in heaven yet. So we still face sin. We still struggle with sin. We still face death. There's still cancer. There's still disease. There's still suffering. There's still heartache. So there's two ages at hand here, the one of forgiveness and the one of hope and the one of salvation and the one of still wrestling with sin, still wrestling with sin, still wrestling with death. And so these two things are overlapping and that's the time we're, we're living in the overlapping of that time. And so our future, when he says for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believe that salvation he's talking about is our ultimate salvation. So that when we, when we see Christ face to face, that is the salvation we're talking about. The completeness of our salvation. When we are completely rid of sin, when we are completely rid of death and, and, and there's no more suffering and there's no more pain and there's no more disease. That is the ultimate salvation experience that we will experience when we see him face to face. And the Bible says right now we see him dimly as in a mirror, but one day we will see him face to face. And that is the salvation he's talking about. And he says it's nearer today than when you first believe. In other words, it's time to wake up today. It's time to understand where we're at today in salvation history, that he could come tonight. He could come tomorrow. He could be at any moment in the twinkling of an eye. When we least expect it, Jesus will return. And the thing about this time is Maybe he doesn't come back in our lifetime. He can, he could, but if he doesn't, we're still, you know, our life is still but a vapor, the scripture says. We're here for a moment and then we're gone. Our life is short. We're never in the Bible promised tomorrow, which means we must take advantage of today. Jesus used this kind of language all the time. Even John the Baptist used it. They, they said over and over again, the hour has come and is now here. 
How many times has Jesus you know, said this in scripture that the time is now. Time is short. He's saying, wake up. And the time for us to understand who we are, the time for us to realize that it's time to love Jesus now, to pursue Jesus now, to be about Jesus is now. It's not when I get older, when I get married. It's not when I get things situated at work, when I retire and have more time. It is now because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Salvation is much more. Listen, salvation is much more than just simply I get to go to heaven. It's much more than I have my sins forgiven. Salvation is I see Jesus face to face. And, and, and salvation is more than I'm struggling with sin and I know there's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It's more than just that. It's now, that's where we're at now. But in the future, our salvation is I don't have any more sin. I don't deal with sin. I don't deal with disease. I don't deal with suffering. It is over. I have no more pain. I have no more loneliness. I have no more emptiness. Our salvation is completely and fully fulfilled when we see Jesus face to face. So he says, make the most of your time. Wake up. Secondly, he says, get your finances in order. Now hop back up to verse seven, where he says, understanding kind of our context, pay to all what's owed to them, taxes, If that's owed, revenue. If that's owed, respect. If that's owed, honor. uh, To who honor is owed. And he says, owe no one anything. So the idea here uh, can be taken, and a lot of people have taken this, that Christians should not borrow. And so some of you have probably heard um, that, you know, you should never like go in debt. You shouldn't have credit cards. You shouldn't, you know, get a loan for anything because of this verse says, owe no one anything. And so let me, let me talk about that. Can Christians uh, get loans? Can, can we use credit cards? Is that sinful? Um, when, we, when, we, when it says, oh, no one anything. So if, if you go to your neighbor and say, hey, can I borrow, you know, your lawnmower? You know, can, can he loan that to me? Is that okay? Uh, can you loan me a dollar so I can go get a Coke? Um, can you loan me $100,000 so I can buy a house? I mean, this is the question that is raised. And, and a lot of people will take this one verse and use it as their proof text to say that debt is sin. Um, you, sh- you should only use cash and anything else is, is, is uh, just a cultural thing and it's sin and you shouldn't do that. Um, so, so what I want to do is, is help us understand, you know, what the, what the real meaning here is and, and help us understand uh, what, what the scripture wants us to take from this. Matthew 5.42, Jesus says, to give to the one who asks you and not turn away from the one who wants to borrow. So Jesus says this. Jesus also speaks of several parables that talks about gaining interest. And so investing and getting, getting interest, the parable of the talents, he commends the servant that, uh, the two servants that double theirs. Um, and so, and, and, and he, he, he gets angry at the one that hid his and he said, you should have invested that and you could have gotten interest on that. And so, um, what we see Jesus teaching here is it's okay to borrow, especially in this passage, if he says not to turn away from the one who wants to borrow, not only, you know, is it okay to lend to that person who wants to borrow, but he's also saying it's okay to borrow. Um, and so, so we see that here. This text cannot, um, cannot prove or it should not be taken out of context here and said that you can't get a loan. That's just the wrong way uh, to, to look at it. 
um, I, I, I do think that using cash, if that's your conviction and we're only going to use cash and we're not going to get loans, and we're not, I think that's commendable. I think that's fantastic for you. But don't sit in judgment upon other people that might have to get a loan to, to buy a house. Um, I think that's important for us to realize and to understand that it is not wrong to get a loan for a house. It's not wrong to get a loan for a car. Um, it's not wrong for us to get a loan to, to buy this building. Um, and it wasn't wrong for us to get a loan to, to make renovations. And so I've had people question me on that and come to this verse. And it's like, that's not what this verse means. Over and over, Jesus commends that. And so Paul's point here, uh, as we look at it, is that he, he's saying not to overextend yourself uh, financially. Here and elsewhere, we would see that over and over, that the cultural mindset is to, you know, buy a house that you can't really afford and then buy cars you can't really afford and then spend all your time working overtime in order to pay for those things. And so that would be the wrong way to handle your finances. So, so to overextend yourself financially to the point of where you're going bankrupt or to where you can't, you know, pay to the one that you owe taxes or the one you owe revenue or, 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 or anything else that we might owe. When we take out a loan, be able to pay that back. And if you're paying that back, then that's commendable. That is, that is completely fine. But, but if we were to overextend ourselves, a bad um, uh, investment or a bad way to handle your finances simply is a, is a bad testimony uh, of a believer. And so I think that's his point here. And I think that the cultural understanding of, 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 of overextending ourselves is what he is speaking against. The Bible actually never says not to borrow. In Psalm 37, it says, the wicked borrow and do not pay back, but the righteous give generously. So the wrong thing, again, would be to be to borrow and then not to pay them back. That would be the wrong way to look or, or you know, the wrong thing to do. And so, so we want to understand that if you, if you borrow money, basically from the scripture, it says be able to pay it back. And so that's kind of where we're at. And, and we understand that. And, and so, I, you know, you kind of sit back and you think, well, why would he talk about finances here? And, and uh, why would he even go in this direction as he's talking about, you know, waking up and <clears throat> in the time of salvation and all that kind of thing? And I think it's really simple, especially I think we can all relate kind of through this recession and kind of through just experience in general, um, that if you are overextended financially, if your credit card debt is, is out the roof, if you bought a house that's more than you can afford, um, your entire life is really kind of consumed around that. And if you're consumed around, I've got to pay this and pay this and finances, then all you're about is I've got to make money and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And if you're focused on making money and paying all this stuff and that can consume you and eat you away uh, from the inside out, if that's where you're at, then you have no time for the gospel. You have no time for the things of eternity. And so again, one of the strategies of the enemy is to, to you know, in advertisement to say this is what's going to make you more happy. You need this, you need that in order to, to be, you know, successful or to enjoy life. And so we run after those things. And in the meantime, our debt goes up. And then as our debt goes up, our peace goes away. And now we're in this vicious cycle of paying off debt and, and vicious cycle of not handing our resources and being a good steward of the resources God has given to us. And then it's a vicious cycle that's hard to get out of. So he says, handle your resources, handle them well, get them in order. You know, it's really kind of simple. Um, just every $10 that you earn, okay? $1, give to the church. $1, save, spend the rest. Now, whatever you make a year, just multiply that, you know? 
If, you, if, if your allowance is 10 bucks, give one to the church, 10%. Give 10, you know, that next dollar to savings and then spend the rest. Most of the Americans, though, will take that $10 and they'll spend $15. You know, and so then our debt comes out and then we can't give to the church or we think we can. And, and then we want God's blessing on our life. And, and meanwhile, we're stealing from him. We want God to honor and to answer and to do this and to do that. And we haven't given, you know, the church anything financially. And, and folks, I'm just telling you, if you're not going to honor the Lord with your finances, um, then all these other things are, are, are going to be, you know, it's, it's, it gets sticky on how God is going to work in our heart and in our life. And, and so, so first and foremost, you know, we put God first in our resources and we, and we give to him. Some of you have been coming to church here for, for over a year and not giving. And I'm just challenging you to get your resources in order and give to the Lord. Um, some of you are given to outside ministries and that's wonderful and we do too. And, 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 and we give to the building fund here so that we can continue to renovate and have things. But the building fund, other ministries is over and above the, the, the percentage that I give to this church every week, every month. And so that does not change. What I, what I give to the, to the building fund is, is this amount. What I give to other ministries is this amount. But that, that percentage is constant every week and it comes first. Everything else is over and above. And so I want to encourage you to get your finances in order. Why? Because our salvation is nearer than when we first believe. It is almost here. Life is short. Secondly, get your finances in order. Number three, Start showing authentic love. As he moves through here, uh, he quickly goes to love one another uh, and, and how that is a fulfillment of the law. He specifically, the law here is the Old Testament law. Don't murder, don't steal, don't covet. Uh, it's all summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So, so the idea here is that because time is short, because salvation is near, he wants us to start loving people authentically. And he says, oh, no one anything except uh, to love each other. So the only debt that you owe and should be owing on a consistent basis and that you'll never repay is love. You're never going to like, you know, one day you might pay off your car, hopefully. One day, you know, you're going to get that debt down. One day, maybe you're going to pay your house off. But there's one debt that you're never going to repay, and that is the debt to love your neighbor. Because you're never going to finish that deal. And it's always going to be there. My responsibility is to love you. And your responsibility is to love the people in this room, to love me. That's first and foremost. He says everything of the law is summed up into that one statement, to love other people. Authentic love is what he's after here. And this is a, this is a good use of our time. Why is loving other people good use of our time? Well, Jesus commands us over and over all the love one another's in the scripture. That's part of our command. That's part of what it means to follow Jesus. But secondly, what's the alternative of being somebody that authentically loves? Somebody who is bitter and unforgiving. And what a waste of your life to be bitter and to be filled with unforgiveness. To be living in the past with the people that have hurt you the people that have wronged you and to be bitter about them and to be upset and angry about them. What a, what a horrible way to live your life. 
always frustrated, always a chip on your shoulder, always kind of angry, always responding to people out of your insecurities because of the ways that you were hurt in the past. And he says, that is not a way to live. You ought to be living with authentic love as Jesus did, forgiving others and walking in that love. See, I think our culture, again, kind of misinterprets uh, what love actually is. Um, most of our love stories or love songs are really just about lust. Uh, you probably agree with me. Um, and so I saw a picture this past week and, and really for the last several weeks and months uh, of what real love is. Um, many of you know Bob Hedrick passed away last weekend and um, his wife Judy uh, was with him for um, I think 45 years they were married. And this last year he's been battling cancer and uh, realized that the chemo wasn't going to work. So the last five months of his life he went home and just spent that time with his family. And Judy cared for him and nurtured him. And I saw what true love is. I mean, when you see that, that kind of um, self-sacrificial servant love for somebody, that is is what love is. Um, When we watch movies, when we see or hear love songs or whatever on the top 40 list, that is about lust. What we see in a 45-year marriage, when somebody goes through cancer and loses all dignity and somebody is taking care of them on a daily basis. Folks, that is love. I I thought, you know, I said, Judy, you should write a book about what you have done and I will make every single person I marry read that book because that is the kind of love that we're after here. Um, That is the kind of authentic love that I think that the the Bible speaks of in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, It's always read, you know, at, at, at weddings, But folks, this is something for our daily life that he says, if you have not love, you are a resounding gong. In other words, you're a clanging cymbal, he says. It's just a loud noise in this world. It's pathetic and worthless if you aren't loving people. All of the great gifts that God has, he says, these are all wonderful, but the greatest of these is love. And if you have not love, you've got nothing. He calls us to love sacrificially. He calls us to authentic love. I could be the, you know, the greatest preparer of sermons and speaker in my entire, in the entire world. But if I don't love my people, if I don't love this church and the people in it, I'm worthless. So regardless if we reach our goals, if we grow this church, or if we reach people for Christ, I am called to love this group of people. And you are called to the same thing, to love one another. Lastly, number four, he calls us, because of our time is short, he calls us to put on the armor of light. Look again at verse 12. He says, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. So in verse 12, when he says, the night is far gone, the night means the the age of this world, the darkness of this world, the sin of this world, the pain of this world, the suffering of this world. He says that age is gone. Christ is here. We've overcome that. It's not fully here. We'll experience that fully in heaven with him. But he says it is gone as we know it today because we are believers. The night is far gone. So let's walk in the light. And so how do we put on the armor of light? Well, there's this idea of casting away sin. Casting away this, this, this thought process of I want to do these things. I want to see these things. I want to experience this life. And he says, I want you to cast that way of life off. And I want you to put on or, or some translations say clothe yourself with Christ. So walking properly 
in the daytime. So what's that mean? He, he, he talks of um, sexuality and he talks of drunkenness. You know, sex outside of marriage is sin, plain and simple. Sex outside of marriage is sin, whether that's, you know, pleasing yourself or with your someone else. Guys, it is sin. He says drunkenness is sin. There's, not, there's no way around that. So that would include any, any type of drug that, that begins to lose our, you know, some of our capacities uh, and put us in that state. It's sin. There's, there's, there's no arguing over that. It's sin and it's causing you to walk down a dark road, a dark path. You are asleep. And then he goes into quarreling and jealousy. We start fighting with one another inside the church. We start fighting each other in the, in, in, in about you know, preferences and what kind of music and, and what kind of style and are we going to do this and are we going to do that? And he says, you get into that mess and you're, you're, you're missing the point. You're missing the whole point of what the gospel means, what the Great Commission is all about. And then he says jealousy. I mean, if you're jealous of one another, you're not authentically loving each other. You're jealous and there's fighting and there's bad. He says, that is not, I'm calling you to unity. And he says to put on the Lord, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus and make no provisions for the flesh. Don't even, don't even think about it. You know, unplug the TVs, unplug the computers, fight against any temptation that you might have by doing surgery on it. Jesus says, if your right hand offends you, you know, cut it off. If, you know, pluck out your eye, if it's offending. In other words, it is a serious matter if you're dealing with sin. So he's calling us to wake up. I'm afraid that too many of us are asleep. I'm afraid that too many of us are sleepwalking and we're taking the, the sleeping pills of the world with entertainment and music and jobs and money and materialism and we're just walking through this life asleep. Walking Dead comes on tonight. You probably didn't figure I was a Walking Dead fan. Some of you have no idea what that is. Uh, comes on tonight. Every time I see it, I think of the church <laughs> because I think of that is what the church, I mean, how, you know, the majority of the church in the world, I'm not talking about our church specifically, we've got a good thing going here, but by and large, we're, we're the walking dead, you know, still doing the same things, still concerned of the same thing, no different from the world, no different whatsoever, still, still, still have the stink of sin on us because we're not any different. We just show up on Sunday and gather with a group of people, you know, and, and we dress a little bit nicer on that day. And it's like, that is not what Christianity is. And we got to wake up. So I'm going to, I'm going to pray. And uh, I just, we're just going to ask the Spirit just to, con- just to do work in here uh, on hearts and lives because uh, it is completely an act of the Spirit of God to wake up a church, to wake up a life. And I'm, I'm, I'm calling our church and I'm challenging you to wake up spiritually, to put Christ first in your life, to serve Him, to give to Him, and to stop walking through this life as if you're dead. And to start walking as you are in the light, to put on Jesus Christ, to make the mission of God a priority in your life and to serve this church and to serve him and to start having spiritual conversation and to get serious about your walk with him. Thanks for listening. More information about Foothills Church is available at foothillschurch.com.